0: I want to welcome everybody to this evening's. I want to welcome everybody to this evening's Mallard Report. Before we begin, I got to remind everybody the views and opinions of the show are those of its host and guests. Do not represent any uh, simulcasting network sponsor or affiliate. I'm so excited to be talking to my guests tonight. But before I, I get to that, remember Mallard.com. Come over and subscribe to your favorite podcasting app and leave a review on the site because that's the best way. For everybody in the world to see it, my guest tonight is New York Times best-selling author, economist uh, Harry Dent. So many titles, so little time. How are you doing tonight, Harry? Good, Jim. You've been you've been studying economics for I want to what, what did I see, Over forty years.
1: That's right. You know, and I did it without a degree, looking at the same facts like scientists, and uh, and they're boring.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and you you've turned out a success, even though. So I could imagine that could have almost put a damper on your parade, I guess, to put it kind of bluntly, that they could have just turned you off on it lot together. So you just kept trucking through it? Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, when you
1: look at something from a new point of view, I was a business consultant. Harvard Business School understood everything that, you know, studied everything about business between undergrad and, and, and uh, master's degree and stuff. And then I started consulting to uh, Fortune 100 companies at Bain & Company, strategic, you know, strategy, all this sort of stuff. And I got a little bored with that because they're the past, not the future. Then started doing the same thing with entrepreneurs in California. And then I got the aha. I saw, oh, these are the people creating the future. That's when I discovered the powerful demographics back in the early 80s of the baby boom generation coming along, which nobody really saw at first, how big they were, how much of a change generation they were. And so I kind of learned, oh, thank God I didn't take economics because most of their theories and things don't really have that much to do with real consumers and real businesses and things that actually drive our economy. So, yeah, yeah, it actually was an advantage in retrospect that I didn't learn too much about economics.
0: Because I, I can't imagine over the last – well, the dot-com boom was, what, the, the late 90s. That had to yep. have been such a game changer to anything that you would have read in the book at any point in your life before that.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. and And I was studying this stuff. In in the 1980s, and and saw the baby boom coming on. I tell you, you know, we've been in a bubble era. The baby boom was the primary bubble of everything. This generation was so much larger in births and globally that it kind of like put pressures on everything. It created bubbles in inflation. The first inflation bubble was inflation in the 1970s. We've never seen inflation that high in all of history. Well, then that's when they were you know, in college and costing money um, when they entered the workforce and started to spend and, and, and be productive workers, we got the greatest boom in history. And now at the tail end of it, we have the greatest bubble in stocks in all of history. So this has all been driven by the baby boom from, from workforce entry, inflation, young and expensive to spending from 1983 to 2007, simple 46 year lag. Now, they're in their prime investment years and we got a bubble in stocks that have nothing to do with the strength of the economy, especially with, you know, central banks printing trillions and trillions of dollars to keep the economy going after the baby boomers caused it to slow down in 2008, which again, I predicted that 20 some years before it happened. So, so I, what I do, Jim, real quick, I focus on the simple, fundamental trends that you can project into the future. How fast is the world urbanizing and how big an impact is that? When do new generations in every country around the world, enter the workforce, earn and spend more money, peak and then slow down and and on and on. And, And I tell you, the number of things that are predictable outweigh the things that aren't. And economists don't have a clue about any of this. They just look at government policies. And, you know, that's That's good for the next election, Max.
0: Well, as I say, when you're looking at a current policy, that is good for what's happening now. That doesn't predict, like you said, the next election. I mean, that's at max good for four years. And by the time you get that policy in your hands, it's already been in place for a little while. Read it and decipher it, it's halfway over.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, I mean, right now, Jim, the biggest thing happening right in the last few months, Federal Reserve tried to... Taper their policy of printing endless money to keep the economy going, thinking, "Oh, it's okay by now; it doesn't need more crack and and, and stimulus um, and quantitative easing, which is basically like injecting a financial drug." And then I guess, and then the markets came back and said, "No!" And, and next thing you know, we got this repo crisis. And after tapering, they've had to put another four to five hundred billion dollars. In just the last few months, and on a a two-and-a-half-week lag, guess what? Stock market's going straight up. You put more money into the financial markets, uh, printed out of thin air. It's not going to consumers, not going to businesses, not going into the banking system like normal Fed stimulus. This is going into financial markets, creating a financial asset bubble, and stocks end up going up the most, but also it affects real estate. It affects uh, bonds. Uh, because they're buying bonds, but but then all the money injected in gets recycled into the highest return asset these days in that stock. So the stock market, Jim, I, I've got the best indicator in history on where the stock market should be by consumer spending trends. And the stock market's only overvalued 120 uh, percent, way more than any time in history, because the demographic trends that drive our economy the most, have been down since 2008 again as i projected would happen back in the 80s before the great boom before the uh financial recession of 2008 to 9 which was totally predictable by the way and ever since we've been living off this oh we're just going to throw money in the economy keep it going don't fix the debt problem you know don't write down debts uh don't uh make the the banks write down bad loans and companies and banks fail and since we didn't do that, uh, we got another bubble greater than 2007 and 2000, and it's about to collapse again. And everybody thinks, oh, it's okay, you know, it seems to be working. No, this is the greatest something for nothing, you know, pave over the, the economy with, with now $17 trillion of global money printing, to create a financial asset bubble that keeps going up, making the rich richer, but it doesn't help Main Street. And the economy has the slowest recovery in history. But stocks have the greatest boom in history. Something's wrong with this picture, Jim.
0: So I think we're right at the right, the crossroads right here. Zero hour, the greatest turn in, greatest political and financial upheaval in history. And uh, um, advance your wealth. I got just yep. advance. So, yeah, yeah. right there, was, tell me about the book.
1: Okay, I mean, it's all about okay. Um, we have long-term booms and busts. Nineteen forty-two to sixty-eight was the spending boom of the Bob Hope generation before the baby boom. And by the way, Jim, that was the first middle-class generation to enter the workforce in history right after world war ii we never had that before it made people matter more because people were earning more money in this new middle class realm driven by the assembly line driven by henry ford and a number of other major innovators back in the early 1900s um but then we had a long downturn from 69 to 82 when they stopped spending we had inflation from the massive and i mean massive entry of baby boomers into the workforce at great expense Um, And then we had the greatest boom in history when they became spenders in much larger numbers, 1983 to 2007. So that boom peaked in late 2007, just as I kind of predicted. And ever since, we've had this, oh, governments didn't know what to do, so they just printed money to bail out the banks. They thought that money would go into bank lending and revive the economy, but it didn't because – uh, consumers and businesses had over borrowed, overexpanded in the greatest boom in history with low interest rates and Fed stimulus. And so what happened was, oh, it started creating a financial bubble in stocks in, in real estate. And, and the Fed kind of realized, oops, we didn't intend this, but this is working. So they've been doing that ever since. So this is crazy, Jim. I mean, you just keep throwing money in the system. In stocks and financial assets keep going up and interest rates are two to three percentage points lower than they would be in a normal economy. So everybody's borrowing more. House prices are going up. Stocks are going up. Um, and, and companies, almost all of the gains in stocks are coming, Jim, from companies buying their own stocks back in a bubble, using their shareholders' cash flow to buy back their own stocks <laughs> At, at high prices, and when this bubble bursts, that money's going to disappear for their companies and their shareholders, and people want to say, "What were you smoking?" Uh, and, and of course, so I'm I'm warning about this that the boom really ended in late 2007, but we've extended a a bubble in stocks and financial assets that's kept it going only for. The upper class, the top 20% control 88% of financial assets like stocks and real estate, and the top 1% control over 40%, and the top 0.1% control 22%. These are the people still spending money because they're making money off of nothing. And the everyday person saying, well, we're not doing that great, but they're doing okay because the economy didn't continue to collapse as it started to in 2008-9, which it would have more. And so everybody thinking, oh, this is okay. No, this is a totally artificial bubble, totally artificial boom. I can measure every part of it. Uh, This 120% overvaluation in stocks compared to where they should be, by my long-term indicator, is totally due to companies buying back their stocks. The recent run-up in stocks since early october 100% attributable to the Fed injecting $424 billion in less than four months into the financial system to deal with the repo crisis that they got trapped into by their own quantitative easing policies. And then they're just going to keep doing it until this thing blows. So this is very dangerous. I don't think stocks are going to top yet. We've got at least a few more months to go, maybe as late as the election, because Donald Trump has huge incentives to give a, a, a tax cut he's talking about, maybe a payroll tax cut in Social Security, payroll taxes, or some sort of direct tax cut to consumers to keep this big, fat, ugly bubble which he criticized when he was running, and now he's the biggest proponent of, oh, the Fed should lower interest rates more. Oh, they should pump more money in the economy. Why are they not helping my economy? This is a big, fat, ugly bubble. And I tell you, Jim, history is crystal clear about this, and I can project this today. Somewhere between later this year, in 2022 or 23, stocks are going to collapse 70 to 90% like they did from 1929 to 32. Real estate's gonna go down 40%, maybe 50, more than the 34% in the 2008 to nine. And and I predicted the last uh, real estate bubble peak in, in late 2005, right before it peaked in early 2006, warned people, this is a bubble, it's going down. People said, no way, government won't let it happen. Real estate's not that overvalued. Now real estate's more overvalued Stocks are way more overvalued. So I'm just warning people, look, this is not the end of our economy. We're just going to have to reset. These bubbles are going to have to reset down to reality, and we're going to have to finally deleverage all the debts we never did from the greatest debt bubble in history into 2007, which has now been extended to even greater, especially in emerging markets, which are the most likely to default on debts. And, And so... The next three years, I think, Jim, may be the the most difficult time for stocks in our economy, in our lifetimes. And then the next demographic boom with the millennials and and around the world will start around 2023. I tell you, between now and then, I'm just warning people. I know nobody's saying this. uh, Nobody's warning people about this because nobody wants to talk about a bubble bursting within a bubble because everybody's high on the bubble our stocks are going up 20 30 percent a year for no reason real estate's going up you know 10 to 15 percent a year for no reason everybody's benefiting uh even the everyday person's benefiting a little and and we didn't go through a deeper downturn in and nine as we would have without the stimulus and everybody thinks it's okay and i'm saying it's not okay you have to protect yourself if you do It'll be the biggest financial opportunity in history.
0: So, uh, I'm gonna ask this kind of as the devil's advocate kind of point of view at this point. Cause I, I've heard what you said and I think I know your answer, but I'm just still gonna ask the question to ask the question at this point. Is there any circumstance that'll allow the bubble to become a part of a public or a permanent reality? Well, you know, um uh, Jimmy,
1: it's a good question cause Japan had the first crisis. Their baby boom came before Europe, the United States, and the rest of the world. It was really weird. They were the outlier. They urbanized rapidly. They had a whole baby boom. They had everything. They had a real estate bubble like we did, even bigger than ours. They had a stock bubble similar to ours, not quite as extreme. And that all burst in the 90s. I predicted that. 1989, my first book called uh, Our Power to Predict, I said Japan's going to have... The greatest collapse in their history for 12 to 14 years, starting in the 1990s, and the rest of the world is going to have the greatest boom in history because their baby boom was peaking, their bubble was peaking, and ours was just starting. In the rest of the world, so you know that this is this is uh, you say. Well, you know, how do you prevent this? Can you? That the problem is once a bubble builds. Um, The only way to prevent it is for not letting it get too extreme. Well, Japan started this quantitative easing in the late 90s when when their economy first bounced back uh, and then went down again because their demographic trends got even worse. Again, all predictable. 47-year lag on the birth index in Japan would have predicted a downturn in the early 90s and then a steeper downturn in the mid to late 90s to follow and, and that all happened. They've been doing this longer than us. They have printed 106% of their GDP since then. Europe's printed 42%. We printed up to about 24% and tapered off to about 19 to 20%. Um, so, so they've done this. And guess what they have, Jim? They have what I call a coma economy. For the last three decades, their stock bubble crashed. 70 percent their real estate bubble crashed 60 percent and and the real estate bubble never bounced at all because they have more old people dying which means sellers in real estate than young people uh coming along and buying in in their millennial generation ahead of us and and stocks came back only about halfway and and are now getting ready to teeter and fall to even lower lows ahead the demographics in japan are the worst in the world, and the number two country following them is Germany and most of Central and South uh, Europe, uh, Italy, Greece, Spain, all those countries. I mean, demographics are slowing in the entire developed world, and they don't turn up for decades and decades ahead. All the growth in the futures in Asia, even China has peaked in demographics. They've overexpanded. So, so important point, Jim, is I, I can look at All countries when do they spend money or not when are they urbanizing when do they peak how much are they growing by urbanization and productivity I mean all the things you'd want to know in the economy the most important ones are predictable economists don't measure any of this stuff they just think it's all about government policies is the government stimulating or not you know is the government a good government or bad government and and those things matter especially short-term but long-term The fundamentals are driven by consumer spending, which encourages business investment, and then government taxes it all. Government is the caboose, not the engine of the train. And and all of my indicators keep pointing down in the world, and the only thing pointing up is $17 trillion of free money going into financial markets, driving up stocks. When we have the slowest recovery in history, 2% growth in GDP. Recoveries are normally 4, 5, 6, 7% growth. This is slower than even the decade of the 1930s. And yet, stocks are acting like this is the best economy ever. Why? It's all artificial. And, and governments never did this before. Um, John Maynard Keynes in the 1930s said, oh, governments should spend more and lower interest rates to counteract a private sector downturn or depression okay yes but they've never just printed money to throw it into the economy to offset it which causes these financial asset bubbles which are very dangerous because again imagine Jim stocks I think there's uh, there's like you know 40 billion dollars in the stock market you know 35 billion dollars in in real estate and then all these other assets a hundred trillion dollars in the u.s if we have this crash in financial assets 50 to 60 trillion dollars which is three times our gdp is going to disappear and that is going to affect consumer spending consumer confidence uh businesses everything banks who hold all these mortgages against all this overvalued real estate and margin loans <laughs> collapsing i mean i'm it's just what happens and i study history and every generation you see an extended downturn like the late 60s and the early 80s you know or now 2008 for it but but only once in a lifetime do you get a major bubble like 1929 to 32 crash or 1837 to 42 before that in the us stocks and real estate um, and we're right on the precipice of this and nobody has a clue because nobody's lived to see this happen and nobody understands how devastating it is on the financial and and uh, banking systems and it's about to happen I mean this this last in you know injection with the repo crisis I mean everybody thought oh it's a oh it's the Wall Street, oh, it's just a little crisis. Big banks aren't lending to little banks overnight when they need to cover their leveraged loans and, and, and hedge fund strategies and stuff. Why? The Fed took the reserves out of the system, out of expanding them. The banks didn't have as much. They're starting to get skittish about themselves. And the Fed had to step in and print, you know, last check, 424000000000 billion. I'm going to get an update on Thursday, probably going to be higher. And it could be a trillion dollars. By mid this year, when I think stocks may finally peak in this bubble at a NASDAQ of 10,000 or maybe even 11,000 this year, and then you're going to have another big crash, and people are going to say, oh, what happened? I thought the government wouldn't let this happen. The government has created this bubble single-handedly. Federal Reserve and all the central banks around the world, they've created it, and when it bursts, they will not be able to stop it, and they will lose credibility and I'm just telling people all you gotta do is get out of the way, sell your stocks maybe months from now, um, sell real estate that you don't not in love with, don't wanna be in forever. I, I, I'm sitting in Puerto Rico saving living costs, taxes, everything, and uh ready to reinvest when when the bubble bursts. But I don't have much exposure right now. I only own a a an island home which will probably go more up than down in this crisis because it's a safe haven. I'm saving taxes. More and more people are moving to Puerto Rico because of the tax savings. So I've just positioned myself to be ahead of this crisis, and it's going to be a political crisis and revolution as well. I mean, people are already pissed. That's why they elected Donald, but Donald's blown up the bubble more than anybody in history. Herbert Hoover just walked into the 1929 peak in September, six months before it happened. He didn't cause it. Donald Trump walked into this and pumped it up even more with corporate tax cuts. And now he keeps urging the Fed to print more money, which they have done, almost half a trillion in the last four months. And this thing's going to blow up and it's going to blow up on him and the economy and people are not going to know what they hit him. All I'm telling you, this is not unpredictable. Economists will call this a black swan when it happens. This is not a black swan, totally created by governments and central banks to fight the last recession without dealing with it, and it will crash predictably, and bubbles crash 40% in the first few months when it finally peaks, and 80 to 90% before they bottom, and it's devastating, and we've never seen this in our lifetime. This is going to make 2008 to nine look like nothing.
0: So I want to ask you at this point, because I think this is where we need to ask this question, how much... How much direct influence does a president have? Because he's been in office for, what, three years now. You said he's been pumping, I mean, any president, though, because he he seems to want to take a lot of credit for the current state of the economy. How much credit should we or should we not give them based off any actions they do any president?
1: Well, you know, number one, the biggest influence uh, since early 2009 has been central banks, not the president. Uh, But, of course, all central, all presidents, the United States, all premiers around the world, they all encourage this, that nobody wants the next Great Depression in 2008 to nine to accelerate uh, on their watch. Central banks don't want it. Um, But now in in, in the case of Donald Trump, though, he did do a a major corporate tax cut. Now, there's one thing to cut corporate taxes in the early 80s, when profits were low and inflation was high and there were shortages and everything, and we needed investment in more capacity, so give these corporations a tax cut, and they'll reinvest in capacity, and that'll help counteract inflation. That was a good time to cut taxes. Donald Trump cut corporate taxes when corporate profits, as a percentage of GDP or any other measure, were the highest in all of history. We're already in a bubble boom. Things were already good. And then all this Fed, Federal Reserve printing money, pumping it into the markets, cutting long-term and short-term interest rates to zero, adjusted for inflation, negative in many countries and bond markets. I mean, this is, this is Disneyland for companies. and then, And then Donald Trump cuts their taxes on top of that. When when income inequality is the highest since 1929, and on and on and on. So so this was this was some this had an impact. 2018 that caused after a 10 12 percent sharp crash and what looked like a bubble top in January 2018, stocks bounced back, but then it it was only short lived. And I said this in my newsletter. I said, hey, this is only a one time corporate tax cut. These companies are not going to take this money and reinvest in new capacity and create new jobs because they don't need to. They've already overinvested in the boom. They have more capacity than they need. China, the greatest growth country in history, has 20-30% more capacity in condos, in infrastructure, and infrastructure, and and industrial capacity than they need. Yeah, this is not going to create that what they intend. It's just going to create a financial asset bubble, and that's what it's done. So, so Trump did have a substantial impact on this, but nothing compared to the you know, near $4 trillion that the Federal Reserve has, has printed, 16 to $17 trillion with all of the major central banks around the world in unison. That's been the biggest thing behind this bubble. So Trump was not the biggest cause. I, I tell you, if I could advise somebody like that as an outsider coming in, he should have come in and campaigned. He came in when, when the bubble was already going and, and, and it already started to burst before, just like Obama. He should have come in campaigning against it and warning people that he didn't cause it and he was going to clean it up and restructure debt and, and, and get the economy straight and lower debt. Instead, he decided to keep pumping it up because he wanted to get reelected, too. And you know what? If he can keep this bubble going, you know, six or eight months longer to the election, he'll probably get reelected. And then, you know what my prediction is, Jim? He'll wish he had not. He will He will preside over the worst economic collapse in our lifetimes like Herbert Hoover did. And Herbert Hoover was innocent. He didn't cause anything. He just walked into the last minute. He's still blamed for the Great Depression for all of history and had nothing to do with it. Donald Trump will be blamed for this because he's been in office, like you said, three years, and he did do things to pump up the bubble. And Clinton, every day, he turns to Powell and says, why aren't you cutting rates faster? Why did you raise them at all? Why aren't you pumping more money? Well, the Fed just pumped $424 billion in four months, the fastest they did since the 2009 emergency, one trillion stimulus in one year. They're doing this again. They are pumping, and, and, and they're doing that because they got trapped in their own quantitative easing that pumped a bunch of money in to keep these zombie banks alive, and then when they started to take it out, the zombie bank said, oh, my gosh, we're in trouble. We need help, and, they, they, and they're having to pump again against their wishes, but the point is the Fed is going 150%, 200% of the past and Trump's not even giving them credit for that. Um, and But the point is they're blowing up a bubble, and bubbles do one thing, Jim. I, I I was not a bubble expert. I was demographics and cycles coming into the 80s and 90s and predicting this great boom with the demographics and the Internet trends and all these great things, you know, like the roaring 20s more so. But I've become a bubble expert since the tech first tech bubble burst. In early 2000. And this is a bubble. Bubbles are like the uh, Masters and Johnson's orgasm model for the male. They, they go up and then they accelerate and then they have this orgasmic final phase, which we are in right now, Jen. It started in early October, two weeks after the Fed stepped on the pedal for this repo crisis. Stocks are going straight up for no reason. And they're probably going to do that for a number of months if they keep pushing this money in and then it's just going to blow it doesn't even take a crisis the 2000 top in tech stocks had no recession no slowdown in the economy the 87 bubble burst in late 87 no slowdown in the economy no crisis it's just a bubble got so far that it burst and then the bubble burst destroyed so much wealth in a short period of time that it caused a downturn it used to be that recessions Cause stocks to go down. Now, stock bubbles bursting can cause a recession, or in this case, a depression. This is unprecedented, Jim. People just need to wake up. It is not complicated, not a black swan. This is happening right now. This can only end badly because it's the biggest something for nothing, I'd call it con, to be frank, in history. Governments didn't want a downturn, so they just printed money to cover it over. Hoping that with enough emergency aid, that the economy would get back its strength and mojo, and it didn't, because demographic trends are still negative, debt trends are even worse, weighing on the economy. And now we got a bunch of third world countries starting to default. And I tell you, when China blows, Jim, China is the greatest bubble altogether: overinvestment, overexpansion, debt in all of history. The biggest country to go from nothing to something in two to three decades when China blows, look out. Uh, it's more it's, it's more impactful than the U.S. and the European stock bubbles blowing. China is going to be the ultimate bubble burst here, but it's going to take everything else bursting first to offset their government's super strong uh, debt. and and fiscal stimulus what happens in China Jim is very simple they give money they guarantee loans to uh, local governments in the communist system to go to crony people to build stuff for nobody to create growth and to attract people from the rural areas into urban areas where they earn three times as much it's a Ponzi scheme the greatest one in history part of it's good urbanization but they've done it too fast too far with too much overbuilding, too much excess capacity, when China blows, I'm telling you, it's going to be like an elephant falling down.
0: So let's take a second and do a hard reset here. Um, harrydent.com, the free daily newsletter. I, I wanted to make sure we got that out there. You mentioned it a little bit ago, so I want to make sure we got that promoted. What, what kind of things do you put in there? Well, I mean, again, we comment. I mean, I just, I just gave people. I'm coming out this week.
1: Uh, in the next week with an indicator that shows a direct 100% correlation with the repo money printing and the stock market going up. And, it, and it's about a two-and-a-half to three-week lag on that, which tells people, look, as long as this indicator is going up and the Fed keeps doing this, don't worry about the bubble yet. But when the Fed starts to back off, which they did a little bit in January, but not much yet, but when they start to back off, this thing's going to blow. Uh so so we look at you know oh you know all oh, this this virus in China. Um I've been saying this is going to be bigger than people think because all the bad stuff comes out of China because these people eat crazy stuff that nobody eats snakes and and pigs assholes and stuff. I'm I'm, I'm not exaggerating here. And 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 that stuff's not as regulated. No accident that a lot of these weird uh food viruses or, or animal viruses come out of china and not even africa ebola yes that's another place but china and asia and this thing is already getting a little bit out, out of control now it may or may not but i tell you it, it could and that's another thing that could prick this stock bubble and already cause The biggest setback since stocks started going straight up in early October. So we comment on everything political in, in, in the short term. Politics matters in the long term. All of our major predictions since I started predicting the economy in my first book and newsletter in 1989. Those things don't matter as much about politics. But in the short term, politics matters. I look at longer term cycles that are totally predictable in technology in consumer spending, demographics, and geopolitical cycles, which, by the way, the worst geopolitical cycle in a long time, starting with 9-11, is bottoming now with the Saran crisis. Everybody's thinking, oh, this is going to get worse and worse. No, I'm telling people the worst is getting over on the geopolitical front. Now the biggest threat are these financial and asset bubbles and, and, and those cycles don't bottom until around 2020, 2022, 23 or so. So we comment on everything. We just tell people, look, I know there's a lot not predictable in the world. We don't focus on that. But there's a lot that is. And we can tell you in advance, just like short term, as long as they, they keep pumping, markets are going to go up. When they stop, it's going to go down. But longer term, we predict it. In the late 1980s, that Japan was going to collapse in the 90s against all trends. The rest of the world was going to have the greatest boom in history because their baby booms were ascending while Japan's was, was crashing. Their bubbles were happening. And, and ever since 2007, we're saying our bubbles are now starting to burst and they will burst increasingly into 2022. So the last burst is going to be the worst. And this is not an unpredictable thing it's just a question of when does the bubble actually peak i'm guessing late may at this point it could be as late as the election but i'm telling you jim this bubble will not last into 2021 and by 2021 we will be into a great depression like scenario the only difference is it's going to be the end of a long down demographic cycle Uh, a huge horrible finale it's not going to be the beginning like the early 30s the worst crash came in the early 30s with a secondary crash in the late 30s this time the secondary crash happened in 2008 and 9 and the worst crash is going to happen between sometime in 2020 and 22 or 23 and then it's going to be over and then the then asia is going to continue growing like crazy not china Because they've overdone it. The rest of Asia, India is going to be the next China. I can tell you that today. Imagine if you could have seen in the early 80s that China was going to have the most explosive urbanization and growth of any major country in history. How much you could have benefited. India is going to do in the next boom what China did in the last one. And we see it today. We're just waiting for the India stock market to crash along with everything else in the next few years and invest in Southeast Asia and India and invest in the aging sectors, which the baby boomers still going to drive. You you understand that nursing homes and assisted living facilities are bottoming in the last few years and are going to go up for the next 25 to 30 years with the largest generation in history. It's the last thing people are going to spend money on after cruise ships. And we've been bullish on cruise ships, obviously, for the same reason. So short term to long term, we can predict demographic trends. Any country in the world, we can predict urbanization of countries around the world, which is important, obviously, for emerging countries. But we can predict how fast that urbanization drives GDP per capita. Uh, stronger in some countries, less than others. Asia is the next great boom by all of my indicators. The West is peaking. Europe's already peaked. U.S. will peak after 2036 or 7, you know, in my, my kids' lifetimes, near term. And Asia will be the biggest thing that ever happened for decades and decades to come. And all you got to do is follow the demographics, follow the cycles, follow technology. Blockchain is in a hype bubble like the Internet stocks were in 1999, 98, 99, 2000. Then they crashed and then became the biggest thing ever. Blockchain technologies and biotech and other ones are going to be the next big thing. But they have to crash first out of this hype bubble. So we're always there for investors understand what's booming, what's not, what's bubbling or not. And we're in a particular bubble era, which will not return for a long time after crashes. But right now, bubbles are everything. And we're in the last, final orgasmic, and literally orgasmic stage of this bubble that's going to burst this year. Uh, Maybe just before the election or just afterwards, but I'm telling you, it's going to happen this year, and you better get the hell out of the way.
0: So Walk me through this. We've got the boomers who are getting to that retirement. Talk to me about demographics. Where where are the different groups are in their cycle? Because you you mentioned millennials starting to help the peak in twenty. 23 or somewhere in that neighborhood so walk me through these different where we're at and where we're headed yeah
1: and I, again this this was my simplest indicator i almost fell off my chair in in the late 80s after a decade of, of, of researching demographic trends for my consulting clients <laughs> big companies first and then entrepreneurial companies in california And I realized that, uh, yeah, the peak spending of the average person back then for the baby boomers was age 46. It's not 44, not 48, it's 46. Now it's 47 for millennials. And and it was always 47 in Japan and Europe, and now it's 48 for there. But the point is, you can quantify that. As more people enter the workforce, go up a spending trend, into this peak in spending, 46-year lag, on the baby boom birth index which i just for immigrants which i can do accurately with a computer model um uh, said we're gonna have the greatest boom in history from 1983 to 2007 and then it's gonna slow down well europe it was a few years later you know and and, and this country that country emerging countries uh, parts of africa are gonna grow into 2100 you know uh, india southeast asia are gonna grow non-stop into 2055 60 i mean when when my grandchildren are going to still be alive and, and not even my kids, maybe, you know, so that you these things are predictable well into the future. So that's what we do. We look at, OK, when's this going to happen? Where? And that's why I was able to say in the late 80s, Japan's bubble, which the rest of the world didn't have, is going to crash. Their demographics are crashing like ha- happening in the U.S. and Europe since 2008. Um, but the rest of the world is going to be coming into their strongest baby boom trends. And, and we're going to see the greatest boom in history. But then that's going to peak after 2007. And now we have this artificial bubble. So it's, so it's all these different things, demographics, technology cycles. Every 45 years, major technologies come and peak. You know, uh, steamships, railroads and transportation, automobiles and jet, just for one example, 45 years on the nose within a year throughout history. And they caused the greatest bubbles and we're in the Internet and, and computer bubble now. And and that's that's going to peak and burst just like 1929 to 32 did in, in autos and, and communication, you know, radio. Uh, communication wave stocks. I mean, that's the first mass media, I mean, for crying out loud. So these things are predictable. We can tell when the trend's are going to go against, but then we have to also measure, okay, how are governments reacting? And, and again, we have an indicator right now tracking how much the government prints money on their balance sheet and how much stocks are going up on a a two-and-a-half to three-week lag. So we'll go even into the short term where we can so we can refine this because the worst thing about a bubble, Jim, is that in the late stage, it gets so astronomic, just like we're getting now, that people who who go against it or short it look like fools. Jesse Livermore was famous in 1929, early 1929, for predicting the 1929 bubble peak and collapse But he went bankrupt shorting it six months too early. When it started to crash, he raised more money and then shorted it and became a billionaire in today's terms. But he was disgraced first by just being six months too early. But I'm telling you, I think we may have that much, maybe three or four months here, maybe six or eight, maybe as late as the election, although I don't even think it's going to last that long. But. I'm just telling you, I've studied everything in history about bubbles, short-term government stimulus now, which we're learning to quantify because that's something never happened before. And we're we're just going to tell people, look, here's where the danger is. And I think the danger is coming maybe three to five months from now, maybe a little later. And then if you don't get out of the way, another thing I've quantified, Jim, from looking at all major stock bubbles in the last century the first crash, when it finally keeps sucking everybody in, keeps going up against expectations, and people doubt it, and it keeps going up, when it finally crashes, the first crash is, on average, 42% in the first two and a half months, and that kills people. They panic and sell there. It bounces after that, and then goes into a long-term downturn, and people get crucified. So people who think, well, I can wait until the, you know, until it's more obvious that the bubble's bursting. No, when this bubble burst, it's going to happen so fast. And in real estate, prices don't go down as fast as stocks, but real estate freezes up, as people saw in 2007. seven eight. It peaked in early 2006, really just months after I predicted it would. But it really froze up in the downturn in 2007, and then you just couldn't sell it at any price. So you have to be at least a half a step ahead of this bubble and understand it's going to it's happening. Don't be in denial. People get high because of the, the bubble gives everybody a free lunch lower. Even if it's just lower interest rates on your car loan or your mortgage loan, that's huge to pay two percentage points or three percentage points lower on a 30 year mortgage is huge. And, and, and that gooses up your house value and it gooses up your stocks. You know, everybody's getting to some degree a free lunch, but the wealthy are getting the biggest free lunch in history. You know what my prediction is, Jim, is going to be the wealthy. They're going to suck the most win in the next two to three years. Remember, I always say, remember Ted Turner in the early 2000s when the last tech bubble burst. He had sold his company to AOL, CNN. And that was the peak of the bubble. AOL was the bubble baby, 400 times earnings. In early 2000, stock, those tech stocks went down 80%. Ted Turner's net worth went from $10 billion to $1 billion in two years. And he was crying on TV, people saying, tech you know, you're still a billionaire. He said, yeah, but I can't, you know, I can't save the buffalo. I can't stop global warming. You know, Jane Fonda doesn't want to have sex with me anymore. You know what I mean? Saying this, he lost 90% of his net worth. One of the richest men back then. This is going to happen to the richest people. The richest people are going to feel this bubble much more than the everyday person who may lose their job for 6 or 12 or months or a a year or two. That's horrible, but The average person does not have that much money in stocks and has bought real estate in somewhere like the Midwest or the Southeast where it's not as bubbly and will not feel this bubble crash like the top 0.1%, 1%, 20 and 20% will. It's going to be the wealthiest people that feel this crash. And they're the ones, Jim, when I talk to and give speeches, they're like, oh, we don't have to work. We're in the best cities. We're in the best stuff. No. The best stuff bubbles, and the best stuff crashes the most. The rich are going to get hit the worst. And you know what? That's going to solve our income inequality problem within two to three years, largely.
0: So I'm sitting here thinking about companies like uh, General Motors and Harley-Davidson. Where do they – I mean, because I'm thinking about smart cars and driverless cars and all this advancement and those things. But you're telling me we're going into – a downturn in the economy so people aren't going to be buying new cars and they're going to be over-investing and trying to make a better – how does that all work?
1: Well, you know, I, Jim, when I'm when I'm lecturing, I always ask people, you know, what, what business they're in, especially if it's a smaller audience. I always get a lot of people in car dealers. I said if I had a car dealership or a bunch of car dealers, I'd put lipstick on those pigs and sell them just like you're telling your salespeople to do. Cars have been extended this, this quantitative easing and lower cost loans and more money to the upper 20% who spend 50% of the money. They may be 20% of the population, but they're 50% of spending and income. (laughs) So cars have been the biggest industry overextended by this bubble past when they should have peaked in 2007 long term. So they're going to go down. The most in this downturn. Now, technology is a different thing. Demographics go up and down in about a 40 year cycle. Technologies are 45 years. Technology cycle has been peaking between 2010 and 2019 and will go down longer than the demographic cycle. Everybody's talking to me about, you know, oh, gee whiz, oh, you know, driverless cars and all this stuff. Yeah, all this stuff's going to happen. But in the coming years, The technology cycles are down the hardest because we've already peaked in the internet and 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 information access. The next technology cycle is going to be the financialization, well, well, the digit digitization of all financial assets and money, and biotech is going to reach whole new heights where they can 3D print. Organs for people that won't be rejected by your, bo- by your body and extend lifespans another twenty years minimum. So so, but but this cycle is different, and this cycle doesn't really turn up by my calculations until about a decade from now, a little over a decade. So that cycle is actually the weakest. It, it's the it's a strong cycle for the economy maybe even stronger than demographics but it's at its weakest demographics have been weak since 2007 this cycle is going to be weak from now into about 2032 that's a long time it doesn't mean there's not going to be innovations it's just the innovations are going to be in smaller sectors like blockchain and and uh and and biotech and nanotechnology which is huge i mean that's probably the biggest of all they're going to be in their infancy still when they move mainstream from the 2030s forward oh my god We're, we're going to live to be 100 instead of 80 and in the next technology cycle after that 120 instead of 100 that's going to reverse the whole demographic downturn around the world and change stuff but but the point is jim I measure everything. The technology cycles, the demographic cycles, the geopolitical cycles all go on slightly different clocks. And they go up and down sometimes together, like 1988 to 2000. All three of those cycles, 100% going. Best stock market ever, best economy ever in the 90s, which again, I predicted in the late 80s before it happened because these cycles. And ever since, these cycles are now varying. The geopolitical cycle is getting ready to turn up. The demographic cycle is still down into 2022-23. The, the technology cycles, which everybody's going, gee whiz, oh my god, all these great things. Yes, long term. Short term, the technology cycle is going to be the most adverse for the next decade. So again, the good thing is we can measure this. We can project in the future. Technology stocks are peaking now. The second Nasdaq peak, the second great bubble, and I'm telling you, they're not going to get to these levels for so long. You won't remember when it when it comes back, and that's what happened in 1929. The greatest tech stocks, you know, Radio, RCA, the up you know, up and coming telephone and and, and car companies, GM. Ford and all were at their peak in 29, crashed 89% into 32. Nobody in history saw that coming and then took the early 1970s to get back to where they were. That's a long time to wait. And then they boomed greater than ever. So that's what I look at, Jim. I just tell people I can't predict a lot of things, but I can predict way more than people think. And the things I predict, I can predict not years in the future, decades. All of these cycles, decades in the future, when they come together, when they come apart, when they all crash together. And and guess what? On my three big indicators, geopolitical, technology, and demographics, the worst is late 2020, and, and they're mostly down into 2022, 2023 together. Then they start turning up one after the next. Next two to three years is the most dangerous time since 1973 to 75 and 1930 to32, and nobody's going to see this coming, and it's crystal clear to me.
0: So we've got about five minutes left, so I've got to ask you, when you say digital technology, do you mean me just going more and more paperless, more you know, swipe the debit card? or are you talking like Bitcoin, or where are you thinking this is all going? Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, 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 Digitization, I mean, what happened with the internet, with email and Google and all these stuff? And again, my research, Jim, <laughs> I, I, I used to have three research assistants, now I have one, uh, because of Google and email and all this sort of stuff. Well, the next one is digitization, not of information, but of financial assets and money, which means, yes, blockchain could mean 10, 20 years from now, all money is created not by central governments manipulating the economy from out of the natural transactions of consumers and businesses in which is way better, which means governments can't manipulate economies anymore. That's a good thing. Can't manipulate currencies. That's a good thing. I love blockchain. Cryptocurrencies right now are overbuilt and and, and Bitcoin might get to the level of value and stability which has got neither does not have much value collectively like even gold does not have stability even less so than gold and gold has no stability but but bitcoin could become a standard for currencies and money and all money could be created out of natural transactions not from government saying this is worth this or that, or this is how much money's printed or not. That that is a huge breakthrough, uh, and, and people could easily could as easily exchange financial assets as they buy something on eBay. I mean, even more than financial stock exchanges, and even lower commissions. And they could just they could exchange things of value interpersonally. So, so it gives people more freedom. It creates more transparency. But the cool thing about, for example, blockchain technology, Jim, is that there's transparency. You know on the blockchain what's happening, but it has also privacy. You don't know who's doing it. You may be able to guess, but you don't know who. So, so again, blockchain is going to solve the problems. The Internet can. The Internet has succeeded, but you know what? When it comes to financial transactions – I am so sick of the Internet. I don't want to do business anymore. I have to have 25 passwords, you know, and all this sort of stuff. And no, remember, you know, my favorite restaurant when I was 17 just to fucking buy something. You know, I, I hate to say that. I mean, it's just crazy. It's getting overloaded. And, 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 and now um, I, 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 I record videos every week for my subscribers. I used to could just send those over the internet, three, four, five minutes. No, I can't do that now because the cloud is cluttered up with dancing dogs and cats on Facebook, and I can't even send a video anymore without putting it on uh, Dropbox, uploading it, and then send. You know, it, so so the internet is peaking. Blockchain is the next wave, and it's going to focus more on money and assets and things of value rather than information which both of them are critical so it's the internet 2.0 that is in its infancy now that is going to surge in the 2030s and 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 be the next big thing even start to surge in the next boom again the point is we can track these things, Jim. It's not a black swan. It's not unexpected. Hey, which company will succeed or not? You know, nobody would have known that General Motors was going to beat Ford in the early stages. Nobody would have guessed that. But as you track the cycle, you can tell when that's going to be decided. So that's what we do. What are the stages of each technology cycle? What are the stages of each generation cycle from, you know, inflation to get them in the workforce, Spending, productivity, boom, and then investment, boom, and retirement, you know, these things we can predict, and that's what you can invest in and count on, and things you can't count on, well, then, you know, at least you're on the right side of the fairway most of the time.
0: Don't even get me started on trying to get traction on the internet, trying to market a product. Don't. Let's not go there. (laughs) It's an uphill crime. Uh, Anyways, we're not going there because we've got a minute left. Uh, (laughs) HarryDeck.com, sign up for the free newsletter. I'm going over to do it immediately following the show. I thought I did it earlier, but apparently I did it because I didn't get it today, so I need to go make sure I get that done. Um, Harry, it's been an honor and a privilege. We're going to have to do it again sometime.
1: Yeah, again, people just watch your financial assets, including your real estate. If you get out near the top of this bubble and reinvest three years from now, that's the fastest way to accelerate your wealth in all of history. Joseph Kennedy did it for as a private individual, and General Motors passed forward forever in this same time period ahead. This is the most powerful period in history, but only if you see it coming.
0: All right, Harry, have a good night, brother.
1: Okay, thank you, Jim.
0: Man, simply amazing. That's why I love the show right now. If you don't love this show right now, you don't get the show right now. I'm sorry. Mm, not sorry. I love this. This is great. This is, this. is I'm more awake now than when I started the show. I'm probably going to be up another hour just thinking about all the little nuances and details of the show. So, coming up on 5-Minute News, I'm Anthony Davis.